HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hey, this is Michael Harlan Turkel from the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I've been with the station for over eight years, 350 shows, and it is the most consistent thing in my life. Every Tuesday at 3, I know to be here in studio, but I also get the the privilege of meeting such amazing people, artists, artisans within the industry. I get to learn a new factoid, a, a new way of life from these wonderful people. And I hope you do too by listening and that you donate to our summer drive. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and click on the beating heart. And we'd even appreciate monthly recurring donations to any show on the network. You could designate to the food scene, the speakeasy, and that many more. Hi, I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. This week's theme is youth. We'll have a report on how migrant children separated from their families at the U.S. border are being housed and fed. Right now, what we're very worried about is just the influx of kids created by this zero-tolerance policy. We'll also look into a program that's ensuring free summer meals for kids are only a text message away. Summer is the hungriest time of year for a kid who may not have that safety net of school meals. We discover a new home economics curriculum. I'm not trying to raise a generation of chefs. I'm trying to raise a generation of nourishers who can nourish themselves. And we meet a teen chef who's talked his way into several of New York's top kitchens. I never try and be, like, annoying about it, but I really want to get my foot in the door. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and Three, available at heritageradionetwork.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And this show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond the sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and izakaya, but what exactly are they? 
Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I'll try to demystify this program with my cool guest. My guest today is Masood Kyasi, who has a unique Japanese food and restaurant blog on Instagram under Tokyo Manhattan. And his posts not only describe restaurants he has visited, but also include many other elements such as history, culture, and、uh, cooking methods. So,、um, so today, Masood will talk about his interesting personal background. It's very interesting. And、uh, his favorite Japanese restaurants、uh, globally, and the latest trend of Japanese dining culture, and much, much more. But quickly, before we start, Japan Needs is available on Heritage Network website, as well as on、uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please、uh, write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. And uh, also, uh, we are currently running a summer drive.、Um, so, we need、uh, your help to fund our、uh, volunteer work.、Uh, we work so hard every day to make a show as great as possible. So, please go to、uh, heritageradionetwork.org website and,、uh, and click on Donate、uh, Pounding Heart. Thank you so much. So, now let's start a conversation with Masud Kesi. Hello, welcome. Hi, Akiko san. Thanks for having me. So, this is exciting. So,、um, So, a、uh, mutual friend introduced us. I heard you are the best diner in the world. <laughs> well, thanks for all the compliment. I hope I can live up to the expectations. Yeah, I, I'm sure you will. <laughs> so, first, you have a very interesting background. Your name is non Japanese, but you speak perfect Japanese. And、uh, so, what, what's going on in your life? Yeah, so I was、uh, born and raised in Japan,、um, ethnically Afghan. I have an Arabic name, Masood.、Um, I spent 28 years of my life in Japan, a couple of years in France, and the rest mostly in New York and the US.、Um, so, yeah, that's in a nutshell the story of my life.、Um, the reason why I was born and raised in Japan was、uh, because my dad was with the Afghan embassy in the 70s and with the coup d'etat and everything and the subsequent、um, Soviet invasion. He ended up seeking political asylum in Japan and became a professor at Sophia University.、Mm. And that's when I was born and raised in Japan. And, you know, oddly enough or not oddly enough, I carry a Japanese passport. So、mm. I'm 6'5, ethnically Afghan, Arabic name, and with a Japanese passport. Imagine passing through customs. Customs and immigrations around the world. <laughs> <laughs> wow, but you're not. Life is not bad. It's amazing. No, not at all. The beauty of a Japanese passport is it requires very minimal visas and everybody's friendly to you. It's, you know, it's a peaceful country and everyone loves having the Japanese come visit their country.、Mm, okay. So, but I'm curious though, what do you, did you eat when you grew up? Because your ethnic background and、uh, I think I, you told me you were in Hokkaido or something like that. No. No, I was、oh, born and raised in Tokyo. Okay. Uh, growing up,、uh, maybe once a week, we would have Afghan food. And、uh, I come from a pretty big family. So we're pretty,、um, you know,、uh, we focus a lot on food,、mm. uh, the kormas, and, you know, it's part of the. Uh, Central Asian,、uh, what the French label is the Grand Cuisine,、uh, part of Kashmiri cuisine, the stews and the kormas and the palaos.、Uh, so it's very rich.、Um, And it,、uh, a lot of it was also served in the Mughal kitchens、uh, a couple hundred years ago in the imperial courts. So,、mm. as such, it's, it's a very rich and,、um, I guess, sophisticated、uh, cuisine with a deep history.、Uh, so, at home, I would you know, eat ethnically Afghan food.、Uh, my mom, my dad was educated in France, and my mom、uh, also spent some time there. She did attend、uh, Cordon Bleu.、Uh, so, her culinary、okay. skills are pretty good.、Um, and as a matter of principle, we would eat like almost a full course dinner every night. My parents love to cook. 
Um, and obviously, living in Japan, I had full exposure to Japanese food from you know convenience food, which is much better than convenience food you find elsewhere in the world, to you know Japanese sushi, yakitori, and various assortments and international cuisine. And my family was plugged into the expat community in Japan, so you know we ate all sorts of various cuisines. So at a young age, I became accustomed to you know a, a broad uh, base of of cuisine and cultures. Um, and naturally, as I aged and became older, um, I, I, I continued to pursue cuisines from around the world with a focus on Japanese uh, culture and food. Mm, that totally makes sense that you're sitting here <laughs> talking <laughs> about food. All right. So, uh, but then when did you, I mean, when and where do you start dining out in your life? So I guess, I guess we really started to dine out. Well, as a kid, we would go maybe once or twice a month with family friends to eat out, you know, shabu-shabu, sort of fi- family-style Japanese meals. Um, and it was more after I started working. Um, I, I did begin my... Uh, actually, I started part-time working at Antonio's in Japan. It's one of Japan's oldest uh, Italian restaurants. Mm. Uh, it's there that I learned um, Italian cuisine in Japan, actually. Uh, but again, the way they uh, sort of uh, prepare the cuisine is they perfect the or- art of Italian cuisine. And the uh, head chef originally came from in the 40s, was uh, uh, cooking for the uh, Italian uh, Navy. And then he settled in Japan and he began you know, uh, his restaurant business. And now it's the third generation. And I used to go to school with um, uh, the, the grandson, Antonio. And so I started working there part time. I also uh, worked at Park Hyatt Tokyo part-time, which has some fabulous restaurants. And once I started um, college, and obviously once I started working in finance, I was whining and dining clients a lot. So I had the uh, privilege of uh, Mm. eating at some of the best restaurants in Tokyo. But this was about, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So it's been quite some time. Mm, Wow, that's amazing. So now, um, well, you work for NASDAQ. Yes. So you have like day job. (laughs) Yeah, I do have a... Proper day job, yes. Right. And uh, how do you find, how do you dine out a week and then how do you find your time to do it? How often do I dine out? Well, I'm single. Um, I, I don't really cook for myself, maybe once or twice a week. So technically speaking, I dine out every single day, almost three times a day. But obviously, it's it's not fancy meals every time. Um, in terms of fancy meals, you know, going and uh, having a restaurant experience, that would probably be once or twice a week. Mm. And when I travel, obviously, um, you know, most of my travel center around food. That's when I kind of concentrate on visiting some of the, you know, good, nice restaurants. Mm, like every night. Well, I mean, when I'm <laughs> traveling, yes. Right. <laughs> but when I'm not traveling, obviously, I have to save my money. I can't, you know, be eating out fine dining every night. I just don't have the time. And, you know, it's, it requires a lot of resources. Mm. Okay, so we're going to start your favorite restaurants, talking about the restaurant in a moment, but what is your criteria uh, of great restaurant? That's a great question. Uh, Very obvious and simple answer. Uh, Great service and great food. And in terms of service, if I may define it uh, more accurately or precisely, I should say, uh, I like restaurants that cater to the customer's needs, that pay attention, focus on you as a customer, um, understanding what you like, what you don't like. Um, I like, you know, uh, tailored service. Um, so when the restaurant likes to, is curious about you, wants to get to know you, um, that's the kind of service that I like. Um, I guess in Japanese it's called omotenashi mm. um, service. Expecting, you know, what the customer likes, wants, and needs. Obviously it takes some time for that to develop, but 
you can kind of tell walking into a restaurant if they're keen on knowing you, who you mm. are, how you eat, what you like. And any restaurant where you can have a conversation with the waiter, waitresses, chefs. And in most Japanese restaurants, you have the ability to sit in front of the chef and have a conversation, sushi being the prime example.、Mm. And when a sushi chef or a chef is conversational, or the itamaya, I should say, is conversational, it just makes for a pleasant experience. So that's、mm. the first criteria. In terms of food and flavor,、um, I, I, laser focus on quality is very nice. I don't necessarily chase、uh, brand names. I mean, obviously, there's a reason why they are brands, but there's an element of brand names being overvalued, a premium attached to its brand. And at times, you, you know, discover a lot of restaurants which are a great brand, but you go there and you're underwhelmed. So I prefer to you know, find restaurants that are. Not as well known,、um, more hidden,、um, mm. hole in the wall, gems that you know, local people frequent.、Um, so, those are the kind of restaurants I try to go eat. But having said that, obviously, you know, if there's a great restaurant with a great name, you know,、mm. that have withstood the test of time, has been around for years. Um, I'm sure it's a great experience and、right. know, wouldn't so, turn that down. Yeah, when you discussed what restaurant you're going to talk about, and I saw, like, wow, this is not in your face Michelin star. You have like something, you know, like surprise. Wow, I didn't know anything about these names. So、um, we'll talk about it in a moment. But、um, let me tell, ask you that, you know, the, you said omotenashi, you know, the hospitality in Japanese style, that's a big part of your good restaurant criteria. Yes. So, Um, I was thinking the difference between hospitality in English versus Japanese omotenashi. I think the omotenashi, for instance, the omakase, chefs are responsible to read your mind, read the air, and who you are today versus last time. Your mood or your health condition, everything, he reads your everything. And then try to adjust these ingredients or quantity, that kind of thing is the、uh, omakase spirit, I think. So, oh, absolutely. Right? So it's not just a friendly hospitality, it's more like a subtle mind reading. That's when I, I really go to a good restaurant and feel omotenashi. Oh, absolutely. Japanese restaurant.、Uh, alternative, alternatively put, it's understanding your sensibility、mm. and based on that, catering to your needs, I、right. think. Mm. So, it doesn't mean it has to be expensive. It can no, be like not at all. Mom and pop in the corner. Oh, absolutely. Some of the best restaurants I've、uh, been to in Tokyo are one of the most local you know, eateries that source the best ingredients, and you're sitting in front of the chef. He's almost a personal friend, and he serves you、uh, what you like, and you call in advance and tell him, This is the type of fish I want, this is the type of meat I want, and you're there drinking and having a great time.、Mm. Right. Okay, so let's dive into your favorite restaurant. So,、um, first of all, I think you gave me three interesting restaurants in Paris. So, let's talk about them. Sure, and Paris is a, always a great idea. Food is always great. <laughs> <laughs> I love going to Paris. Yeah, I'm sure your parents,、uh, you know, background, you've been there many times, right? Correct.、Paris. I used to live in Paris.、Um, also, most recently, I was there for about two months for work.、Um, and yeah, it just, it's a great place to eat. And there's a reason why the Japanese are fascinated. With Europe, particularly France,、um, also Germany, Austria, England in its own way, and most recently, probably Spain and Portugal.、Mm, right. And obviously, Italy. I mean,、uh, the Japanese have conquered Italian kitchens、uh, back in the 70s. It was one of the first, I would say, Western cuisines that you know, came to Japan and they've perfected Italian cuisine. 
you know, some Italians may agree, disagree, but I've heard some Italians claim that the Italian food that you get in Japan is just uh, is something that you can't get in Italy. Mm, I think uh, the mindset, whoever are trying in Italy or France even, the chefs go back home and then they're so religiously um, kind of responsible to preserve the tradition they learned in Italy or in France. So it's kind of like, a, I think the mindset of you have to protect tradition is uh, in uh, Japanese DNA. So that's why people say it's perfected in Japan. Oh, absolutely. And when the beauty of cuisine in general is you experience culture and philosophy through cuisine. And this also holds true for Japanese cuisine and Japanese food or you know, Japanese chef's mindset. Um, Japan is very keen on the concept of adopt, adapt, adept. Mm. Um, and you can see this with food also. They, they adopt a particular cuisine. Let's take Italian as an example. They adapt to it. They send you know, all their chefs to Italy. Their sous chefs eventually they become chefs. And then they bring it back and they master the craft, take it to a whole new different level. They, they adapt to it. Um, and, and, uh, and a lot of people now visit Japan to even have Italian food. There's some, you know, J- Japanese, I mean, Italian pizza in Japan, as an example, is something that people go seek after. Mm. Um, you also see it on shows like um, David Chang's uh, Ugly Delicious. He talks about, you know, pizza in Japan, how it has its own unique take. Mm. And in the past, it used to be a lot about, you know, bringing uh, ingredients from Europe, the the original ones, high quality ingredients. But recently, it seems as though it has morphed more into uh, uh, using local ingredients mm. and um, c- maintaining the essence of Italian cuisine, but blending in Japanese sensibilities, flavors, originality, and uh, in creating sort of a new uh, concept. Mm. Interesting. So let's talk about uh, La Table Daki in Paris, which is kind of like uh, the opposite application that happens in Paris by a Japanese chef. So what kind of restaurant is it? So La Table d'Aki is a very uh, interesting restaurant for me. It was one of the first uh, restaurants I went to where the chef was Japanese. Uh, Akihiro Horikoshi-san, he's, uh, he's been, he lived in France for over uh 20, 30 years or so. He came to France at the age of 22, started working at L'Amboisie, which is a Michelin three-star restaurant. He was there for about 20 years. And towards the end of his career, he was uh, heading up the whole fish department of the kitchen. And his specialty is uh, fish. So when you go to his restaurant, it's mostly a one-man show, uh, maybe about 12, 14 tables max, uh, well, even less actually. Uh, uh, he, he does not serve meat, uh, and uh, if you want meat, you have to reserve uh, a week or two in advance and specifically tell him that you want meat. And I asked him why he, he only serves fish, and he says because meat, the flavor and the scent will uh, ruin the kitchen, and his fish will not maintain its purity. Wow. So it's it's an a pers- an attribute of Japanese chefs, the or culture, I should say, or mindset, the the uh, pursuit of perfection, sometimes at, at an insane level of making sure that fish is not contaminated or spoiled in any shape or manner. Interesting. So no, no surf and turf. <laughs> no surf and turf. No, only fish. And he swears by uh, fish from Europe. I actually had an interesting discussion with him because I love Japanese food and Japanese fish. And I, I consider myself a you know, self-declared sushi connoisseur. 
Uh, obviously, I'm not very humble here, unlike the Japanese. But I asked him, so how do you compare Japanese fish to uh, European fish? And we had a disagreement, interestingly enough. And he claimed that uh, fish in uh, uh, Europe is superior to fish in Japan. And I told him I disagree. As a Japanese, I think fish in Japan is far superior in than Europe only because of the way they treat the fish, the ikijime, uh, making sure the fish is killed right away. So it's more of a nose-to-tail experience. And there's more care from a fisherman's perspective when it comes to the fish. Uh, his response was... Uh, Actually, I bounced this. He listened to me. He didn't really have a response, but I bounced this idea off of other chefs, Japanese chefs, kind of globally. And I they tell them a story every time. And their response is, well, if you cook the way Aki-san cooks, which is heavy on the sauces, the spices, perhaps the kind of fish that he seeks is um, uh, he, he's probably more, the kind of fish he seeks is more appropriate in Europe than in Japan, mm. where in Japan, it's more about the sozai or the actual fish and its flavors. He's less focused on the actual flavor of the fish. Obviously, they're of high quality, but it's more the sauce making, the various spices that he puts mm. in, and the creation he brings about. So it's it's a very classic French uh, restaurant, um, French cuisine, with some Japanese sensibilities um, uh, attached to it. Mm. And uh, I was, you know, me and my friend, uh, one of my dining friends, we were eating there, and uh, one of the customers sitting there was a Japanese couple. They travel off into France for, uh, to eat. And I would engage in a conversation with Akisan. And I would call him Akisan. And the French couple would, uh, jokingly, they would uh, interject and correct me. They say, please call him Grand Chef, not Chef Aki. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And he was, you know, he was very uh, uh, humble about it. And he would, you know, uh, he would be a little shy about it. But um, so that was the experience at, uh, at um, La Table de Aki. And mm. it's located uh, towards south of Paris near the Saint-Germain-de-Prés area. Mm. Uh, and it's a cute little place. Mm. I so, recommend everyone to go. So you expect um, classic French cuisine, but because of uh, his respect to the ingredients, that kind of Japanese-ness you, you find. It's a delicate expression. But he uses uh, sauces and uh, it's like, uh, in other words, he's, he uses his fish as a white canvas and you paint with his sauces. Oh, absolutely. That's flavors. a great way to phrase it. I like that. Yes. Mm. Uh, it's just dedication and laser focus to bringing premium French quality and French style uh, dishes to to the table. Mm. Okay, so that's the Japanese perfection happens in Paris. Correct, and he is one of the, um, from what I hear, one of the first sort of uh, chefs that came to France, and he's very well respected within the Japanese chef community. He's obviously much older, uh, and he's also a hobbyist. He only listens to. Uh, 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 pre-Karayan uh, uh, music, classical music, and he has a collection of about two, three thousand CDs. And he spent a good 10, 15 minutes talking about his love for classical music. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so um, so the next one, the Lou Solilis in Paris. What was the, the restaurant? What kind of restaurant is it? So Soliles, um, it, it, the name Soliles means chicken oysters. Um, uh, it's it's sort of a precious part of the chicken. Uh, Louis XIV, the French king, was known to eat only uh, the Soliles. Uh, literally, it means the fool leaves it, le Soliles. Uh, and uh, the reason why it has that name is amateur carvers of chicken 
usually carve out the chicken and leave them uh, leave the oysters behind because it's tucked in on the side so you have to kind of press it and then it comes out um, so amateur carvers would leave it so they say the fool leaves it um, and that's where the name comes from <laughs> but the Japanese are obsessed with soliless if almost every yakitori store you go to even in New York City here which we'll talk about later they serve soliless it's a very delicate and tender piece and very juicy piece of the meat so his signature dish, um, uh, Doihara-san, who runs, uh, him and his wife, who runs Soliless, their signature dish is Soliless. Jokingly, Doihara-san calls it yakitori, or yakitori <laughs> grill skewers. Right. And basically what he does is he grills the Soliless, uh, he mixes it in uh, a very thick uh, sauce, and he puts some uh, foie gras on top of it and serves it. And because of the way he grills it, he I think he uses Japanese coal, binchotan, uh, to grill it and gives it a yakitori flavor and also puts some sancho, Japanese peppercorns, mm. um, into the sauce. So there's an element of Japan in the uh, French dish. I mean, when you look at it, it looks like a classic French bistro dish. However, there's accents of Japanese flavors in it, and that's mm. what makes it very special. But all of his um, dishes are outstanding. He has trained at Paul Bocuse for about... Uh, 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 for a good uh, amount of time, and he he has has been running his restaurant for about six years in the 11th arrondissement of Paris, which is a very hip um, and, and diverse area of Paris that is up and coming. And there's a lot of interesting restaurants there, including Septime, which is one of the world's uh, I think ranked 35th best out of 50. Mm, right, and actually he was trained under Paul Bocuse in Tokyo. Yes, so that's, that's kind right. of like interesting application where he started in. In Japan. Yes, and he still wears his Paul Bocuse shirt uh, in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is sweet. Yeah, and I saw the, the price is not so bad. It's a 60 euros for dinner, something like that. So it's like a bistro. and you can Oh, it's very reasonable. And when you walk in, it's a lot of local people, uh, a lot of French people. You don't really get a tourist crowd. Um, and you feel like you're in France. Uh, the uh, Doihara-san's wife, uh, Akiko, a very sweet lady. She's there drinking, chit-chatting, and it feels like you're literally in France in a French culture, and she blends in with all the customers. So not only is it good food, it's a good experience, it's mm -hmm. fun, um, and it's uplifting, and uh, you know everybody's drinking and chit-chatting with one another. I actually met some very interesting people at that restaurant. Mm, nice. So I will have to go there next time. Definitely. Right. And uh, the, the next one, uh, Autonome in Paris. Yes. So what kind of restaurant is it? So it's actually referred to Otonom uh, by uh, Doihara-san. They're very close friends. Uh, Akishige, Chef Akishige and his wife uh, run the restaurant there. Interestingly enough, Akishige-san has never been trained, um, in, never went to culinary school. Excuse me. Um, so he, he basically came to France, spent about 11 years uh, experience the, experiencing the French terroir, mm. the French landscape, the food, the, the, the soil, the flavors. He's very much into wine. Um, and after 11 years and uh, having worked at various Michelin-starred restaurants, uh, again, in the 11th arrondissement of Paris, he opened up uh, Autonome, Autonome being fall, and his uh, last name begins with Aki, meaning uh, mm. uh, fall. So it's a play on his last name. Um, but it's, it's again, uh, uh, it's less of a bistro. It's more of a bistronomie, which is gaining a lot of attraction over the last decade or so in France. Sort of a cross between a casual bistro dining experience and a gastronomy high-end experience. Mm. Um, he uh, focuses a lot of uh, on game meat, 
um, and you can actually go see the meat. Uh, the kitchen is visible, and he's more than happy to show you. Mm. Uh, but very good food, uh, very good service, um, and it's usually a three- or four-course meal. Um, and I had the pleasure of dining there, uh, I think it was back in January. Mm, so do you call it the classic French or a little different? Classic French with a nouvelle cuisine touch and obviously with a kick of Japanese sensibility in there. Mm, meaning uh, ingredients or the obsessive quality control? Uh Ingredients and obsessive quality, to your point. Uh, every dish that was brought out, they would explain where it came from, how it was raised. Uh, I mean, I, I forgot the details. Um, it is actually available on my Instagram. But the uh, salmon that they prepared was some famous salmon that they also serve in uh, one of the top uh, restaurants in Paris. The duck, the Chalance duck that they serve was one of the best ducks in France. And, you know, they go deep into the history of it. And you, you can tell they're into their ingredients, the quality of it, how it was raised, how it was prepared. And every dish has a story. And, you know, if you ask, they tell you the story. And it's just, you know, that's part of the dining experience. It makes it much more pleasurable. Mm, interesting. So we talked about three, um, re three restaurants. Random Japanese, run and owned by Japanese chefs, and I looked at uh, 2018 Michelin fronts. So, um, so there are two star uh, restaurants uh, by Japanese chefs, and the total two star restaurants in France that's only five. So, 40 percent by Japanese chef. That's impressive. Right? So, and uh, I was looking at the one star Michelin. That's total 50, and uh, there are four restaurants by Japanese. That's 11 percent. So. Wow. Yeah, so what's going on? I heard uh, like all those good restaurants, uh, there is a Japanese, at least one Japanese cook uh, walking or training in the Michelin restaurants. Interestingly enough, uh, my niece came to visit me in Paris um, in January for a long weekend. She's 18 years old. I asked her, what do you want to do? And she said, I'd love to go to a Michelin star restaurant. Obviously, the uncle ends up paying. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Where did she learn how to, uh, how to uh, you know, try michelin star restaurants so anyway we decided to go to agape for lunch uh we step in it was a michelin one star restaurant uh the proprietor there was laurent and uh when one of the plate came out it was the same plate as uh, david toutain uses is another famous french chef and i was like oh wow look at that plate david toutain uses the same one and he overheard me and he was kind of alarmed and he comes up to me he's like what did you say i'm like oh well, i just said david toutain uses the same plate and he goes he used to work for me. I'm like, oh, okay. And I instantly, I'm like, all right, he owns this restaurant. And then he just started, you know, on this monologue about how he loves Japan and this and that. And I'm listening. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm Japanese. Obviously, he can't tell I'm Japanese. And then he tells me how his chef is Japanese also, the head of the cuisine. And I'm mm. like, oh, really? I mean, I'd love to meet him. So he comes out. By this time, you know, the whole restaurant, like, looks around, like, what's going on? Because the Japanese chef comes out. He bows, says hello to me in Japanese, and I speak to him in <laughs> Japanese. Everybody's like, what's going on here? So it uh, turns out uh, Takayanagi, Chef Takayanagi is, uh, uh, runs Agape's Kitchen. Uh, before that was another Japanese chef. And his whole philosophy is to embrace Japanese chefs um, and, and watch them grow. Um, and he was fascinated by Japanese culture, Japanese sensibilities, and the Japanese cuisine. So to your point, yes, there are a lot of Japanese chefs uh, that, that uh, you know, there's a, the, the, I guess the best way to put it is, as if Patrice uh, Martino said, he used to run the Peter restaurant at uh, the Peninsula Hotel in Japan. He said he has the most highly trained and technically adept uh, chefs in the world. 
and they are all Japanese, and he's living the dream of every French chef I know. This is a, a quote, by the way. The entire staff, my staff is Japanese. They work harder, faster, and better than any chef I know. Mm. So I guess overseas chefs、um, and proprietors have recognized this、uh, element of Japanese work ethic, Japanese sensibility, and Japanese culture, and are more than happy to incorporate it in their cuisine and, you know, Part of this whole globalization and, and, and changing the experience for the customer, bringing unique experiences. Japanese cuisine and Japanese chefs are a big element and big part、mm, of that. Interesting. So, French people, French chefs are very open minded. And I, maybe Japanese chefs, Kaisek chefs, should be more open minded to have more non Japanese chefs. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think so. When you see the exchange, when you see all these Japanese chefs co- going to Italy and, and, and、uh, France, and obviously Western chefs moving into Japanese. Japan, you see a lot of cross cultural pollinization,、mm. and、uh, as a result, it you know, helps the consumer overall. I mean, obviously, chefs are notorious for being, you know, excuse my expression, but you know, stubborn and set in their own ways. But having said that, there's always a good number of restaurants that incorporate you know, new ideas, new w a y of doing things, and、uh, there's plenty of restaurants where you can go、mm. uh, and experience that. Right. Another, excuse me, another experience I had in Lyon in France,、uh, went to eat there also. I went to a restaurant called Auberge de Ile Barbets,、uh, a pretty well known restaurant、um, on an island. And、uh, it was an auberge, a small you know,、mm. a house. And I walk in and I see a Japanese looking chef. And I can kind of tell a Japanese person by the way they. You know, talk, act, their mannerisms, I should say. So I immediately asked, I'm like, is that a Japanese chef? They're like, yes, he's here to train for、um, a, a year or two. And I'm like, oh my God, I'd love to meet him. So it turns out in this middle of nowhere, Lyon, a little island, I meet another, yet another Japanese chef. <laughs> right.、Um, I think one of the two Michelin stars、um, by、uh, Japanese chefs in Lyon, too. So. Oh, really? Which、yeah. one? I-, I can't recall the name. I think the chef is、uh, Takao. Um, something like, yeah, I have to look up, but but anyway, so it's not just in Paris, there are, yeah, absolutely.、Uh, chefs. And uh, yeah, I unfortunately I was uh, I, w- I was there during New Year, so a lot of restaurants were shut. Um, so my experience in Lyon last time around was a little limited.、Mm-hmm. But to your point, you know, like you, the uh, Akishige sons of the world, the chef of Otonom, I mean, he spent 11 years just going around France, different parts of France, and understanding the cult, the subtleties, and the difference in cultures. And ultimately, opened a restaurant in Paris,、uh, catering to、uh, you know the very catering. Essentially, opened up a restaurant in Paris, bringing various parts of France to the uh, his his uh, tables in in, in Paris.、Mm. Okay, wonderful. So、uh, let's take a quick break here, and、uh, when we come back, we'll continue talking about more favorite restaurants by、uh, Masood. Please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, 
where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Broadcast Live from Studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Kataima, and my guest today is Masood Gassi, who has a unique and impressive Japanese food and restaurant blog on Instagram and the name、uh, Tokyo Manhattan. So let's continue、um, talking about your restaurants,、uh, favorite restaurants. So now let's go to New York City.、Uh, you have uh, first uh, Setsu Yokota. What kind of restaurant is that? So, Setsu Yokota, as the name denotes, Setsu means to blend. And there is a Japanese、uh, idiomatic phrase uh, called Wayo、uh, Setsu. It means to blend the best of the East and West. It's you know, in line with some of the Japanese sensibilities of taking various things from various parts of the world, Japanizing it, for lack of a better phrase, and perfecting it. Um, so, Setsu is again to blend. Yokota is the name of the chef. Yokota san has been classically trained in French cuisine.、Uh, most of his life, he spent、uh, cooking French food.、Uh, together with Yokota san and uh, his uh, executive chef,、uh, Nick Sider, they opened the restaurant almost a year and a half ago called Setsu Yokota. It's actually one of my favorite restaurants、uh, on Avenue B and 3, corner of Av- northwest corner of Avenue B and 3. And basically, they have a、uh, Two course omakase meal,、uh, reasonably priced. And、uh, essentially, in a, in a nutshell, their cuisine is contemporary or modern tempura cuisine、mm-hmm. with a French touch. So, what happens is initially you start with an amuse bouche,、uh, and then there is a French dish with a Japanese、uh, touch. And the next dish, another appetizer dish, is a Japanese dish with a French touch, so the inverse. And they try to use seasonal items, things that are shun. Japanese are very particular about、uh, peak season, or、mm. as we call it in Japanese, shun. And then after that is a、uh, full course tempura meal from you know, seasonal fish to、uh, chicken that's sourced from you know, various farms. The whole experience is about three hours. And after the tempura is their conclusion meal, which、uh, their signature dish is the. Kamo chasoba, which is duck with、uh, green tea noodles.、Mm. It's beyond this world. It's very delicious.、Uh, and finally,、uh, a dessert. So it's a full course meal, three hours long, eight, seat, count, eight counter seats. You're、wow. facing the chef, you're chit chatting them the whole night.、Um, and、uh, yeah, it's just a great experience, good food, and great sensibilities. And I go there quite often.、Mm. So, well, it's interesting. Setsu, like tempura actually came from Portugal, like, you know,、uh, centuries ago to Japan. So, by itself, it's a Japanese idea of、uh, setsu, like blending. Oh, absolutely. Right, east and west. So, based on that, his French mindset and、uh, the、uh, kamocha soba, which is based on dashi. So, that's kind of like an、uh, interesting blend 
Oh, in the modern style in New York City. Yes, everything's a blend. I guess it's as Manhattan as you can get from that perspective. So it makes sense for his restaurant to be in Manhattan because,、mm. you know, it's a melting pot here too. Right. Okay, so the next one is、uh, Uogashi. So what is、uh, Uogashi? There are some very good sushi、uh, parlors in New York City, and、uh, almost on a daily basis, a new one pops up. I just can't keep up.、Um, everything from low end to super high end.、Um, but Uogashi is definitely one of my favorite. It's very reasonably priced. They use, again, very seasonal items. I was there just last week, and I'm going again this week. <laughs>、um, I love the chef. He's great,、uh, Nakajima san.、Uh, he's very nonchalant, free spirited. Uh, but at the same time, bold and assertive in his execution and his delivery.、Uh, so, back to the cuisine it's, it's a full course sushi experience using、uh, peak season items, shun items. And it's just as if you're sitting in a sushi parlor in Tokyo.、Mm. Um, so, it's a very legitimate、uh, Tokyo experience here in New York City. I think he's a the third generation sushi. Correct,、chef. yes, yes. From the family. Yeah, so, yeah, and I, I looked at the, the price. It's from、uh, $35 to $100, $150 plus. So you can pick any price range in a way. Yes, it's、range. very reasonably priced, actually. And the quality of the fish is very good.、Um, and just the way they serve you, they take care of you, it's, it's very much Japan. Mm, right, there are so many、uh, Japanese restaurants, but I think、uh, it's really crucial to have that specific Japanese, you know, Tokyo experience. Oh, absolutely. So that's precious. Absolutely. I mean, there's all sorts of sushi parlors in, in, in New York City. The likes of Seki is, you know, Manhattan style sushi, which breaks past the tradition. They put tomato sauce on top of their sushi pieces, and, you know, they, they、uh, are very progressive in that sense. But you also have a lot of traditional types of sushi. So it's very interesting how diverse sushi can get in New York City.、Mm, right. So compared to when you started、uh, California Rolls, and now it's up to, you know, Will, quintessential traditional Edomai sushi.、So. Absolutely, yes. And he does serve quintessential, to your point, Edomai sushi.、Mm. All right. So now、uh, let's talk about Torishin, which is a little different from other restaurants. So. So, Torishin is also one of my favorite uh, spots. Um, This is obviously my personal opinion, but um, I I tend to chase traditional flavors. I tend to chase things that I can find in Tokyo here in New York City. I mean, innovative sushi, fusion between Japanese and French, and all the other cuisines are great. Uh, But I seek out the sort of the real, what I would like to think is the real experience. And Torishin offers just that, but Uh, in yakitori format. So,、mm. Uogashi, as mentioned earlier, they do that with sushi. Torishin does that with、uh, chicken.、Mm. They're a Michelin one star restaurant.、Uh, I have a few、uh, favorite chefs there.、Uh, Kono san is great.、Um, and it's just like walking into a re- you know, yakitori restaurant somewhere in Japan.、Mm. They swear by the mayored reaction, as in they, it's caramelizing the meat. They use binchotan, white Japanese coal.、Mm, which is pretty expensive. It's not a good investment for the restaurant. Yeah, it is. I mean, they are a Michelin one star restaurant. They get, they're, they're always packed, it's not easy to reserve.、Uh, but the food quality is just spectacular. And you sit in front of the grillers and they、mm. grill for you and they serve you. Um, and they use a、uh, chicken that was sourced from farms in Pennsylvania.、Mm. Um, 
it's in as such overall it's a great experience. Right. Well, the yakitori I think uh, it's not known enough in this country, even in New York City. And uh, if you go to Japan, yakitori place can be really a cheap mom and pop. But it can be like a torishin, it's a kaiseki style, course menu too. Yes. Yeah, and then I saw, um, I think they serve, for instance, there's such a high quality restaurant that they serve cocktail at the shochu with the carved, hand carved ice. Oh, yes. Right? I, yeah, I, I've never had the pleasure of sitting at the bar there. I go straight to eat. But uh, I think, yeah, they, they do that also. Mm, so that's then a stylish style, how to learn what the the chicken is because the chicken yakitori is uh, eating you know liver to head to tail and the solidus that you mentioned yes. earlier so you don't realize wow chicken in this country used to be oh breast or leg but it's the whole thing oh it's, absolutely uh, such a yeah. delicacy yes right okay so uh so we've discussed three new york uh japanese restaurants so how do you see japanese food culture in new york I haven't been to every city in the world, nor have I been to every restu- Japanese restaurant in the world. But uh, from my perspective, I think New York is a close second to Japan. Um, perhaps Hong Kong and Singapore and Beijing and Shanghai may offer that. But in the Western world, at the very least, I think New York City is the closest thing you can come to when it comes to Japan. Again, as I mentioned earlier, almost on a daily basis, you have a new chef opening a new Japanese restaurant. And it's, it's, they're innovative, they bring back traditions, and some of these places you walk into, you literally feel like you're in Tokyo. Uh, and it's almost like as if they've perfected Tokyo here in New York City. So I think the quality overall is very high. You get a lot of diversity. It's a manifestation of Manhattan and New York way of living. Mm. Um, and, and chefs come here and perfect their art. Right. Okay. So, um, so now you kind of... Uh uh, gave us the global perspective, Paris, New York, and uh, let's talk about the uh, restaurant in Tokyo. So that's a uh, tempura condo? Yeah, so, so most recently I had the uh, privilege of uh, getting a reservation at tempura condo. Kondo-san's been around for oh, a couple decades, I would assume, and mm. he still runs his restaurant. I guess the equivalent, he's the Jiro equivalent of tempura. Mm. Um, I hate to compare chefs as they don't really like to be compared <laughs> to. Uh, but it is a Michelin two-star restaurant. They're laser-focused on the quality of their vegetables, mm. the fish, and everything that they deep fry. And unlike the perception that you have with tempura in most parts of the world, the batter is very delicate, very thin. And uh, his whole philosophy is to... Uh, steam the meat and vegetables by way of deep frying. So what happens is they encase the vegetable, the fish, and the meat with uh, very light batter. They deep fry it in very high heat. And Mm. they don't leave it for a long time. They take it back out. And what happens is you have a very thin outer layer that's extremely crunchy, and the inside steams with the high heat. Mm. So it's soft, juicy, and tender, and it preserves the essence of the ingredient. Right, without being lost in oil when they he cooks it. Correct. Right. As Kondo-san says, tempura mushiryori da. Tempura is steamed cuisine. Mm, interesting. He's such an innovative, mind, minded person. And I heard he's the guy who made vegetable tempura as a mainstream because people used to think tempura has to be protein. And if you serve tempura, it's, it's like, you know, back the house. It should be for, you know, somebody in the second class oh, kind of thing. 
and his quality of his his vegetables is is out of control. And every one they tell you which farm it comes from. Obviously, if you ask, it's very quiet. It's almost like a library. Mm. And I'm the only foreigner looking guy asking questions, and everybody you can tell is listening and curious about it because he's almost like a godlike figure in tempura that Japanese people are a little afraid to speak up. They just you know humbly there experiencing cuisine and probably do their readings before they come and go mm. back and appreciate it. Whereas here I am and sitting there and asking him questions. He was amused. Everyone else was amused, and it was a great experience. Mm, okay, um, so we are kind of like uh, running, running out of time, but uh, this is going to be the first one. So you come back and talk more about uh, restaurants in Japan as well, because our listeners, I'm sure, want to hear all about things. So, uh, but now let's talk, talk quickly about your Instagram. Um, that's a very interesting blog. So, um, so under Tokyo Manhattan, if you go to Instagram. So what's the mission? Like, what would you like to communicate? Because it's always a beautiful picture and uh, described, well-described, um, you know, your experience. And it's really fun to read. So what's your mission? To well, thank you. All these compliments. I'm, I'm blushing here. <laughs> but uh, I, I, well, might was ta- I might as well take this opportunity to advertise my Instagram. It's Tokyo Manhattan. Um, and I guess it's just I, you know, I'm a I'm I'm Japanese. I'm a hobbyist. I love to talk about food, uh, my experiences, and I'd love to uh, for my you know followers and the general public to experience the same kind of experience that I I'm having with especially Japanese chefs, Japanese sensibilities, uh, Japanese chefs around the world, how they view food cuisine and how they bring it to the table i think it's very unique um obviously every culture has its own take on things but i think this japanese sensibility is something that is valued globally as such you have you know japanese chefs in top restaurants in italy france the u.s perhaps the rest of the globe um bringing it to tables and people appreciate it so naturally i want to bring that out by way of photos and by way of writing a commentary about um, each of the experiences I've had. So it's more conceptual in nature than sort of rating restaurants. It's more about the experience, the chef, the history, and the background. Mm, Amazing. Okay. So listeners, again, it's Instagram uh, under Tokyo Manhattan. So, but how do you find new interesting restaurants? It's a great question. So uh, as soon as people realize that I'm Japanese, the first few questions they ask me is, do you know restaurant XYZ? So naturally, I accumulate a lot of information. I also read about it. Um, I have friends that are into food. They ask a lot of questions. So over time, and just talking to chefs, you know, they say, oh, you should go there. You should try that. You build like a network and you start noticing, you know, the various restaurants and basically word of mouth and by way of reading, I have certain places that I'm curious about and I just go out and try it. Mm, Okay. And also heard that you had an event for a group of CEOs on etiquette while sitting at the sushi bar. Yes. So do you offer that kind of classes? Oh, absolutely. So we went to Kurumazushi, uh, one of the top sushi places here, and uh, I spoke about Japanese culture, food and everything along the lines of what I talked today. And I walked them through every single piece I, uh, of, of sushi. I uh, reserved everything, booked everything, and just gave them a Japanese dining experience. And they loved it. So more than happy to do it for other people. Mm, you are an ambassador. <laughs> an ambassador. Awesome. There you go. Yeah. So what are your plans? I don't really have plans. I just go with the flow. I enjoy eating. I continue to eat. Hopefully, you know, it could turn into something. If it does, great. If not, I continue eating and enjoy my uh 
my hobby. Mm, okay, we'll see what happens. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so uh, so like I said, I I'd like to have uh, have you again and then oh, talk absolutely. more about. I think uh, next time I uh, I'm sure uh, listeners really want to go uh, to Japanese restaurants when they go to Japan. So we'll talk about. Yes, it. we can talk more about Japanese restaurants yeah, in Japan. But I I had a really good discovery about restaurants and chefs in Paris. Yeah. And of course in New York. So. Yeah, I have to keep going to those new places. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you, Okiko-san. It was a pleasure. Yeah. So listeners, uh, I'll uh, put uh, all the names of the restaurants I came out today uh, on the show page. So uh, yeah, you don't have to go back and listen and try to <laughs> write it down. Okay, so uh, thank you uh, for listening. And uh, the uh, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese.heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatayama.com. And uh, Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. And an engineer today is uh, uh, Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.